Welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This is a place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember, you need to take the actions that others won't to live the life that others don't. Please make sure you subscribe to this podcast to get new show alerts. This week, I've got Eric Nelson on the show from Wild Oak Capital. Eric is a real estate investor who specializes in multifamily apartment syndication. Eric has a couple of great stories on his first few multifamily deals where he used creative financing to acquire the properties with little money down and excellent terms. We also have a conversation with actionable tips on what to look for when you're considering investing as a limited partner into a syndication. I also found it interesting to hear about some of his joint venture deals. You don't need to be an accredited investor to put capital into a JV deal. It's a matter of matching up the right operational partner who's going to find the deal and the partner who's going to bring the capital. And before we dive into the show, I would really appreciate it if you could take two seconds to tap that five-star review button on Apple Podcasts, and even better, to leave me a quick review. In addition, I just relaunched my weekly newsletter that provides a few gold nuggets to inspire growth in your business, wealth, and life. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure and an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, to start, could you give us an idea, kind of your journey from maybe 18 years old or so until kind of where you're at now and um, how you got there? I'm an engineer by trade. I, I studied civil engineering and I practice structural and civil engineering still. And, you know, in high school, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just happened to be good at math. And so I just kind of chose this path, right? So um, ended up going into engineering and in college, this is kind of where my real estate journey started. Uh, my brother and I were renting this place and I was like, man, you know, we could buy a house and rent rent to our friends, like in the room, basically like room house hacking, right? Um, and we could, we could do that. And back then it was pretty easy to get a loan. Like even two college students got a loan for a house. So that was like our first house purchase. Uh, but it kind of opened my eyes to like what real estate could be and what it looked like. Cause it, you know, kind of worked, honestly. Like we bought this house, he and I fixed it up but we were renting to our friends along the way and pretty much living for free, right? They were renting rooms from us. Um, and then from there, like, you know, sort of did the standard American dream, I guess you could say, right? Like as you're taught <laughs> and went into work, started working for someone else. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough that I was able to start my own company, an engineering company at a pretty young age. Um, but it's still kind of the like trade your time for money thing. Like, even though it's, it's, I own the company, it's super small. There's just two of us. Um, you still, have yeah, to, you're still doing all the work. Yeah. You still have to like show up. Exactly. So that was kind of where my mind was like, all right, what else can be out there? You know, what else is there? So, you know, I started looking at rental properties, not really knowing what I was doing, honestly. Like, we bought a rental property with my father in law or parents in law who are, they're awesome people. Um, but truthfully, like I didn't know the math. I didn't know how the business really worked. I was basically like, Hey, this house is a good deal. It's going to rent for quite a bit. Like that's pretty much it, you know? And it did kind of work out. Like I'll say we lucked out a little bit. And then from there, like we bought, like I was still looking and bought a triplex and this is kind of a cool story too, but it was like an owner finance deal. Um, triplex, we still live there. And so I was able to keep the other house 
and move into this triplex. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm a landlord now. Like we have four rentals. I got to actually figure out how, how to like track all of this and like learn the business and stuff. And kind of another similar story with a sixplex. Like I was walking with my son and like started up this conversation with this guy who was there, like putting a for rent sign in his yard. And uh, it's like, it's an awesome story, but basically same thing. Like he said, he would finance it for us. You know, we like built this relationship if he was the owner and you said, Hey, yeah, you're trying to rent yeah, so I'll just, can I buy yeah, it? Yeah. So if you're, if you're cool with it, I'll just tell the whole story. So I used to like literally walk my son who's, he's four now. So this is four years ago when he's a baby, we'd like walk around the neighborhoods and every friend sign I would see, I would call. I'd be like, Hey, you know, like, what are you renting for? And there's sort of twofold. One was like in my mind to really get to know the market, you know, like what are people renting for? And just like looking at the house, like what quality is blah, blah, blah. So I see this older gentleman putting this for rent sign in the yard. And it was like an old sign. Obviously he'd like recycled it, you know? And so rents were way low. Like I could just read the sign. I'm like, ah, it's low. like, Hey, how you doing? Like, I'm just walking by. Um, you know, I'm not interested in renting. Have you ever thought about selling this property? Cause I could tell it was like a multi-unit place, you know? He was like, um, yeah, you know, I might. <laughs> He's like, but I would need kind of a lot, you know, like that's kind of how he started. And I was like, okay. Um, yeah. So like, Here's my number. Think about what your price would be and give me a call. A couple of days later, he calls me. He's like, okay, I, I would need like a million dollars. And I think I know what he was doing. Like that was an outrageous number for him. In our market for a sixplex, I live in Colorado. So uh, it's, a pretty good, Denver? it's a pretty good deal. Uh, Southwest. I live in Durango, Colorado. Yeah. Um, similar market as Denver though. So a sixplex for a million dollars is actually a pretty good deal. So I was thinking, wow, that's that's a heck of a deal. Um, but how am I going to come up with a down payment for that? You know? So I was like, Hey, well, ha- have you thought about financing it? You know, I, I see that you, cause I'd, I'd researched a little between the time I saw him and he called me, I knew he owned it outright. So I said, if you thought about financing the property, he's like, well, what does that look like? And so that was kind of fun to be like, well, you know, here's, here's the benefits for you. Cause there are benefits to sellers as well for owner financing. So if you can kind of paint that picture and that's what I did, I was like, look, you can defer these taxes for a little bit. Because if I give you a million dollars, you're gonna have a pretty, pretty hefty tax bill uh come spring, right? So he's like, okay, cool. Let me let me think on that a little bit too. So same story. I gave him time. I was like, all right, yeah, talk to your wife, uh, call me back. So he did. He calls me, he's like, Yeah, this sounds good. Like, how do we do that? And then I said, Well, that's great. I really appreciate you being open to it. Um, and here's kind of the, the worst case scenario for you is that I don't pay and you get your house back, you know? So he was like, Oh, cool. Um, and I was like, but here's the thing. We don't have a, enough cash for like a standard down payment. So plus we need to keep some money back to like fix it up. So I said, how about this? How about we put $35,000 down and a 40 year, four zero amortization. And I think it was like a 5% interest rate. And he didn't know really what any of that meant, you know, but he's like, sweet, you're going to write me a check for 35 grand and I get a check every month. And I was like, yeah. So it, it worked out like a win-win, right? Uh, so that's what we did. We put three and a half percent down on a sixplex. And it was a pretty cool project because one of the units was empty, was just full of stuff. And so we were to clean it out, you know, fix it up. And then as uh, leases came due, we were able to kind of fix up each one and raise rents and stuff. And uh, actually, since then, we sold that property. And what was really cool part of that story was a seller approached me like at a meetup and said, Hey, do you, have, do you know anyone selling anything in town? I was like, Well, I have this property I would sell. He's like, yeah, man, financing is really hard on a sixplex. And so I was like, well, let me let me uh, get back to you. 
And I called the original seller and I said, Hey, I've got a buyer for this property. Would you be interested in just continuing this financing? He's like, yeah, that works great for me. So I called the new buyer and I was like, Hey, I've got an owner financing thing. I can just basically pass it to you. And so he basically wrote us a check between our purchase price, his purchase price, and the financing stayed in place. And it was like a win, win, win. Um, so that was kind of That's awesome. What did you sell it for? Uh, 1.175, I believe. So all told, we probably made you know somewhere between 125 and $150,000. And we only owned it for like two years. And it was a lot of money or a lot of work, but that's a ton of money, especially like Early yeah. in my career, you know. So, so you put thirty five thousand dollars down, and then I imagine you had cash flow from day one with at least five people paying rent, right? Yeah, barely cash flowed early on. Like it was barely, barely making it. And and then once we got the the sixth renter in, then there was some true cash flow. Plus, you know, as we got rents turned and sort of up to value, yeah, we were cash flowing pretty good. So part of me was like, man, I should never sell this property. But the other part of me was like, you know, we need some cash for syndication. So that was right around the time where we were transitioning to like true multifamily syndication. I think one uh, myth that I can help your listeners know about is like, it does take some cash to do syndications. Of course, you can borrow that money, you know, but you've, you've got like nowadays, especially there's big earnest money requests, right? So if you buy a big multifamily property, you're looking at $100,000 minimum I've heard up to like a million dollars in earnest money, which is just crazy. So you got to have a bunch of cash, right? And you get it back, it's refundable, but you still have to have that available. Yeah, you got to float it. Yeah, yeah. So you had this deal and then how long until you started to get into syndications and you got your first big deal? Yeah, so basically like two years, right around that time. So two years later, so this has been about two years ago, I started kind of thinking about the idea. And truthfully, I had to open my mind. Like, this is part of the reason for my podcast is like talking about mindset. It was like my mind had to shift because I had this like, I can do it alone. I can find these rental properties alone. I don't really want to partner. Like, that was pretty much the limiting belief that I was facing. And it took some help from coaches and friends, but like, you know what? You can go so much further, so much faster when you partner with people and, you know, find deals or maybe partner with people who just have money, even for example. Um, so that was kind of the mindset shift I had. So, you know, between that time and the first syndication, uh, bought like another eight plex, another six plex, but I'd partnered up with people. And so I sort of proved the concept in my mind. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is way better. So you go find the deal and then you go find someone else to bring the money yeah, and then yeah. you, and you I, marry them. Yeah. I can dive into that deal a little bit too. So there's an eight plex. This is in Lubbock, Texas. Um, and, the he bought all, he brought all the money. And so a partner and myself basically like did all the work. Uh, and he, he's like, I don't want to, he's like, I want to learn the business, but I don't want to be in in it. You know, I don't want to deal with like tenants and stuff like that. So we found a really good deal. Uh, he brought all the money and he, he owns 55%. So the other two of us own 22 and a half percent each. And that one cash flows like crazy. And he's doing really well too. Like there's, so that's, it's a pretty unusual split. It takes a pretty special deal, um, to make those numbers work. And it just happened to be, that's what it was. It was a pretty good deal. So he was happy. He's still happy. And we still own it. Um, still going well. It's awesome. So what does your business look like today? How many units do you have under management? How much in valuation? You know, walk us through your journey into the syndication world. Yeah. So, yeah. So then um, about a year after that, like after I was kind of like realizing, okay, this can happen. Um, we got our first syndication deal in Tulsa and that was 48 units. And that was about not too long ago, eight months ago. Now that we closed and then closed another one very recently in San Antonio. So 
all told under management is about 140 units, I believe. Um, and then I should probably know these numbers, but somewhere in the $8 million range under, under management. <laughs> yeah. I don't like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't pay attention too much on under management. I probably should for like my bio, but uh, you know, it's funny too, because some of our partners own stuff like I do, like, yeah, you know, like you own pieces of it. Exactly. Like I'm partnered with some of them on some things. So it's, it's kind of this weird, like funky mix of, of units. So yeah. What does that look like from an administrative standpoint? Do you share resources? Does everybody manage their own assets? And then the team manages the properties that everyone has in common? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, this is really, again, it's like another good lesson is just try and stay organized. So we do have a bookkeeper and she manages basically everyone's stuff. Cause I've, I've like, I love her and I've basically pushed her on everyone. I'm like, look, she's incredible. She'll make sure all the books are good. As far as like management goes, it's kind of depends on the deal. So like that eightplex, for example, I own with my brother and another investor. So he and I have to like, kind of keep that on the up and up the four the 48 units I own with three partners. And then the, the San Antonio deal I own with all four partners. So it kind of depends. Like, you know, what's funny is like, I'm sort of the glue that holds everyone together because I'm invested in all of them. So I will say I like try and keep it oversight, but our partner, Shane, he's like analytical. He loves details. So he's kind of the one like back a house, making sure everything's really, really clean. Um, but any deal he's not involved with, and it sort of has to land on me. So a little bit of both, um, but we have an excellent bookkeeper and we love our CPA. So there's a couple of teammate people that I would say like not necessarily part of Wild Oak, but super imperative to have. So what's your vision with uh, Wild Oak Capital? Where do you want to take it in the next, I don't know, three to five years? Yeah, this is cool. So we actually went to Mexico City as a team. Uh, it's a long story, but one of our partners, John, uh, loves Mexico. I do too. So I promised him I'd go there and then I just, we, we dragged the other guys down there, but it's a great city anyway. So we met down there and we, we set up like a vivid vision, you know, uh, three years from now. So we we plan to have more or less 2,500 units three years from now. Um, so like I have a, I have an assistant and I, I think each one of those guys will need that really soon. So Shane's kind of like underwriter. John's out front. He loves like broker relations. Ben's like asset management stuff. And then myself is sort of like leading the ship more to sit like, and then like, like you said, sort of overseeing everything and then a bunch of advertising and sort of uh, marketing and stuff. Are you targeting any specific areas of the country? Yeah. So we, we are, we have one under contract in Colorado right now. Um, and I can talk about that cause it's not necessarily like a 506 B and then, uh, really focused on Tulsa specifically, but Oklahoma for sure. And then same for Texas, like Texas is really tough. You know, it's a hard market to get in right now. I think people are overpaying, but we still love it. Right. So there are deals to be had if you're, if you're digging deep enough, we love San Antonio. Those are probably my two favorite markets is San Antonio and Tulsa, but we definitely look all over Texas, all over Oklahoma. And then Colorado is my home. So I know the markets really well. So we'll always kind of look at deals here. So what makes multifamily syndications a good investment right now? Why should people be interested in this? So that's a that's actually a tough question because I think, again, I do think there's a lot of operators overpaying, especially in, t- in really hot markets like Phoenix, Dallas, Atlanta. So I would caution investors to really understand what the exit cap rate looks like. Like some of those metrics is like, there's some dangerous underwriting in my opinion, you know? So I would say... Can you, can you walk us through an example of what that looks like? Okay, cool. Yeah. So let's say, you know, you're buying a property. So, I mean, I'll just give you an example. So we we were under uh, Invest in Final on a $20 million 
deal in Texas. And we were like top, 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 sharpen our pencil. We all looked at each other like nothing can go wrong. We really have to be on the ball on this deal if we're going to hit this price. It was like 22 and a half was our, was our ceiling, right? So best and final, I think there was four people left. So you just, you know, you submit a second offer at your absolute top and you just hope you get it. And so we're like, whew, man, 22 and a half. This is incredible. Can't believe people are paying this. And it was like a four and a half cap rate maybe, or like slightly lower than that. On current or projection? Current and well, current was probably more like four. It was a pretty good, well-run property. It was kind of one of those cash flowing deals day one. So between current and projected were pretty similar actually. Um, and then someone just like the broker called the next day and said, Hey, someone's willing to pay 24 and a half. And you know, so we lost the deal. And I, I looked at it like I plugged it into our underwriting. I'm like, I don't, I don't see that. And so the danger I think is if you change the cap rate on the exit to be something similar or even lower than what you're buying it for, you can make the deal look good. You know, so if you said, Oh, I I really think cap rates are going to continue to compress and you expect to sell at a lower cap rate, the deal always looks better than it is. So, you know, I would caution people to say, ask your team, what is the exit cap rate? going in and what do you expect the exit cap rate to look like going out? And if it's not conservative, meaning the cap rate's not higher on the exit, that's a pretty dangerous thing to be involved with. The other thing is like interest rates. So if there's like a a refinance part of the deal, or if they're selling, uh, like let's just say a refinance deal, ask what the rate is on their proposed refinance. If it's not a higher interest rate than it is now, again, I think that's kind of dangerous underwriting because we're seeing rates go up right now and it's just it's just standard to be conservative. And it seems like some of that's going out the window. So to answer your question, I think multifamily properties are an incredible investment. I mean, the market's done really, really well. I also think even in a downturn that you know multifamily tends to do pretty well. Because unfortunately, people like lose their houses and must be renters or you know have to maybe go from a class A property down to a class B type thing. Like, okay, I need to save a little money. I'm, I'm pinched by the market type thing. Like maybe... You know, I got like a, you know, my pay was doctor, whatever, right? So I think multifamily tends to do well in most markets. And so that's why I like it so much. The other thing is it's kind of flexible, right? So let's say the market dips. You have the ability to sort of hold on, wait for the market to come back a little bit and then sell. And usually in multifamily, you're able to to make your payments. Like debt service is pretty low in comparison to the income. And are these interest-only loans? Yeah, so right now... There's a lot of bridge loans out there too, like two, three-year term loans. We try and stay away from those. There's a time and a place for it. But most Freddie Fannie multifamily loans have a two or three-year interest-only period, which is really nice because you can kind of like, you know, helps you with a little buffer, so to speak. Yeah. It gives you time to get the property performed better, allows you to get your cash flow up. Exactly. Because the first year or so, I mean, you're always going to have a little bit of transition, like there's always going to be a little bit of growing pains. You're going to sort of implement your own style. You're going to have some people potentially move out, stuff like that. And then, of course, you're trying to fix it up. So you're going to have some occupancy issues as people move and you're working on them. You know, they're just naturally going to stay vacant longer. So um, all that to say, I mean, I really think multifamily investing is a really good opportunity. I just caution people to be careful not to like dive in, you know, head first. It's like learn the business a little bit, even as a passive investor. Yeah. So for someone who's never invested in an apartment syndication, what do you think for them is the biggest hurdling block? And how can you get over that mindset? 
I mean, that's a great question too. I, I think people are just afraid to write that check, which I would be too, because a lot of times it's $50,000 and that's a ton of money, right? So I think the biggest hurdle is to to find someone that you really trust. So syndication, like, you know, in this world, we talk about it all the time, but it's surprising. I would say most of Americans don't know what that is or what that means, right? So you hear like, oh, what's that? What I would encourage you to do is find someone that you can trust and that you they'll spend time to get to know you and explain the deal and then, you know, understand what you're doing. I think the biggest hurdle is just like getting over the the I have to write this check and I have to trust this team to take care of my money because that's really what you're doing. I mean, it's almost like investing in the stock market in a way where you trust like Apple to do a good job, you know. You have to trust that the team that's running the property is going to do what they say they're going to do. Yeah, you have to know, like, and trust the sponsor who's running the deal. You know, if this happens, if you can get to yep. know them, you get how to get to know how they think, you know, what their plan is, you get an idea of what types of deals do they do and what types of deals don't they do. I think a lot of that is through, you know, listening to people on podcasts, reading their books if they've written any, and meeting them in person. You know, in terms of liking them, you know, I ask myself, can I grab a beer with them? Will they answer my questions or do they have a big ego and think, you know, I'm an idiot for you know, even asking? Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> anyway, that's how I determine if I like them. And do I trust them? You know, what's their experience? How many deals have they done? How much money uh, uh, do they have in their own deal? And do I know anyone who's invested in them? Anyway, for me, no like and trust. That's how I break it down. And for you, I'm sure you've invested in other people's deals. Is that similar? Is there anything else? You know, you've got to check the box on. No, I mean, I think I, th- I think what you said was super valuable. First of all, like, yeah, can I grab a beer with this guy? Will they answer the phone? Will they like treat me with respect with questions that you know might be simple to them? Or I loved what you said. And then, yeah, like you know, asking other people who have invested with them is huge. And the other thing about this business is it's pretty small. Like last week was best ever conference. You know, that's Joe Fairless's. That's probably the biggest conference of the year. There's six, 700 people there. And that's the majority of people kind of doing it. And there's other people learning and investing, of course. But basically, you kind of get to know a lot of the operators in, in the US, at least. And it's kind of a small world. So if you're not doing a good job, it's going to get around. The other thing is you can just ask someone. Say, hey, have you invested with this person and how they do? Like how they answer or their updates like? Um, you know, all that stuff. And yeah, you can learn pretty quickly about them. But yeah, I, I really, I love the know, like, and trust. And we say that a lot. I, I like spot on what you said. And I think sometimes people think it's like stocks, like they need hundreds, which really isn't true. You only need five to eight people's syndicators, operators that you trust and who have good deal flow. And if they're bringing you two, three, four deals a year, you know, at that point, we've got what, 15 to 20 to look at. And if you're investing in 25 to $50,000 chunks, you may only invest in you know one deal a year. So you don't need this huge Rolodex of people. You just need a couple that you really get to know, like, and trust, and then you're pretty much all set. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is like, I, I'm, I tend to be super honest with people. Like, if we're not a good fit, I'm not going to take your money. And I will tell you like, oh, this other operator is doing this other thing. Like, you know, lots of people call and say, hey, are you guys buying self-storage? Like, no, that's not me, but here's the operators I like that I think do a good job. They're doing self-storage. Or if someone invests with me, they'll say, what do you think I should do? I'm like, well, I think you should spread your money around. So here's a couple other people doing deals that I'm aware of and actually sort of help them build that Rolodex rather than hold them tight. So that's kind of an abundance mentality thing. Like raising capital is hard, but if you spread that wealth and spread that love, like it's going to go 
so much farther for you. I mean, there's, there's just so many people doing a good job that, yeah, if there's someone out there with some cash, I'll say, well, you can invest 50 with me and, you know, 50 with this other operator who's doing a great job and that it'll come back. Yeah. So once you make your money through the real estate business, where are you putting in your wealth? Where are you investing? Are you 100% real estate? Or are you into stocks, crypto? Any other tips, tricks in terms of how you're managing your wealth once the money's made? Yeah. So I, I'm basically almost exclusively real estate. I mean, we have a little bit of stocks. Like I have an IRA, but it's not really you know anything to speak of. I just believe in real estate so much. And the other thing is like, I, I know it. Like it's something I can answer pretty much any question in regards to real estate investing. So I will invest in every one of our own deals. So that's like a large chunk of my wealth is coming from our own deal because I'll be an LP and a GP. And so you end up getting quite a bit of equity in those deals. And the other thing is like, kind of shows my investors like, look, I'm, I'm investing personally as well. I love this deal. I think we're going to make money and here's how. And then, and then beyond that, like I will invest in, in other people's deals, but it has to, again, I like, you know, maybe scrutinize the underwriting a little too much. <laughs> maybe I'm a little too picky. Um, that's, that's the other thing too, is like people ask me, Hey, I'm going to invest in this other deal. Will you look at it? I will spend the time to tell them if it's a good deal or not. Um, as my like investor in a deal. And I think that's pretty valuable as well. So I'm pretty much all real estate. I believe in it a lot. I like the tax benefits. You know, I like, I like pretty much everything there is to let, you know, real estate, but it's, it's also goes, I will say it's good to spread your money around multiple deals, maybe different types of deals, self-storage, multifamily, whatever. And I think that's pretty wise. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Multiple operators spread around the country. You know, I've got some deals in Florida, some deals in the middle of the country in Texas, different operator, different asset classes. You know, part of it for me too is I want to see how people communicate and you don't really know until you get your money with them. I've got this one deal. Every single month, they send us an email that includes their full financials. Like literally, they send us their credit card statement, their bank account that's reconciled, their P&L, their balance sheet. You know, it's super impressive in terms of the transparency. And, you know, I got other ones that, you know, they, they give us a little bit less. So it's interesting to see how different guys work and how they think. That's awesome. We do, we do that quarterly. We send the full financials quarterly. And I love that transparency. And of course, we're still new, right? So we're still testing this out because we ask people like, what do you want to see? Most, most investors don't want to see that or they'll just, you know, just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. I barely look through it. I read the little summary. I click once in a while. But it's, it's there. cool that it's there. Yeah. So if, if you ever like have some spare time or you get kind of like nerdy on it, you could you could dive in. So I always tell people like, look, we'll send it. But if you have specific questions, just reach out. I think that's super powerful is just to be truly open to talking about it. Yeah. Hey, so I know you have kids. Any life lessons you're really going to try to you know, teach them in terms of money, real estate, anything else from your mindset topics? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I do. Uh, my... My oldest is four, youngest is two. So they're still little right now, but like probably the biggest thing, you hear a lot of parents say like, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. Like you hear people say that. And then, and then when you actually like hear them talk about it, it's like, you can be a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer, you know, like it's still pushed like the semi, yeah, like go get a, go get a, you know, degree, go get a job, put your money in 401k. And I think there is some value to that. And, and I actually may be a little bit opposed to a lot of people in this industry. I think college is, is worth every penny. Like even if you have crazy student debt, if you finish, I think it's worth it in my opinion, um, because you, you gain so many friends and so many lessons in college. And I think the other thing is just to finish something like school for me was really challenging. Like even though I was technically good at math, there's like 
so many smarter engineers out there, right? So in, in class, in school, I had to try hard and I was, I put myself through college. So I had to work and study and it just kind of, it kind of like taught me uh, time management. And of course I still have tons of really good friends. I met my wife there. So I'm like, I personally think, you know, st- studying something in college, learning a skill, uh, all that stuff is usually pretty valuable. Now, my wife, she has a degree in uh, art history. <laughs> and so, and she was studying out of state. So that's a good example of like, maybe not quite worth the money, but again, like all the friendships made and all that stuff. So okay. anyway, come back to the question is basically, I will teach them. They can truly do whatever they want to do. What's cool about the United States is like, you, you can start a business. You can learn several things. You can be 10 different things if you want. Right. So I'm an engineer and a real estate investor. And if I really wanted to, I could be something else like a pilot or whatever. So I think one lesson I want to teach them is like, keep your mind open and, and where we live, we're really blessed to live in a place where you can do pretty much anything. And then I'm going to try and instill that entrepreneurial spirit. And then like, it's okay to be your own boss. It's definitely okay to start your own thing. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, one of the things I find funny with my five-year-old that she's always negotiating everything. Nice. And I'll be like, we got to leave in five minutes. And she's like, 10 minutes. And it's like, all right, all right, seven minutes. And you know, she wins most of the time. That's awesome, man. But anyway, she's going to be a, a great negotiator because you know every little thing, I try to give her two cookies. She wants three, four. It's pretty That's funny awesome. watching her grow up and, and seeing the business side or you know negotiation side. So where can listeners connect and you know learn uh, more about you? Yeah. So pretty much everything's on my website, wildoakcapital.com. Uh, email is eric at wildoakcapital.com. And I really do enjoy chatting. So if someone has questions or wants to learn more, uh, my my podcast is called The Real Estate Mindset. And I touched on that a little bit. Like, Yeah. What do you talk about I there? Think, yeah. So I think like, you know, mindset's super valuable. I, I think a lot of people go to like conferences or start to learn about real estate. They really want the nuts and bolts. Um, but I will say, even from personal experience, like my mind truly had to shift around, okay, why am I doing this? You know, like, why am I working so hard? And what what's the reason for all this? And what's the why? You know, what's... So kind of starting with the end in mind, having a true vision for the, you know, what you're doing, what you're doing with... Because you are, you know, it's funny about real estate sometimes, like all of a sudden it feels like you have some wealth and all of a sudden it feels like you're kind of making money, even though you've been like grinding at it for a while. It's like, well, what are you going to do with that wealth? What are you going to do with that money? So I think that's super powerful. So that type of stuff really fascinates me. And so that's the reason for the podcast is like asking other people, hey, what's your vision? You know, like, and what's your why? So, so what's the vision for you? you know, what's your why? You know, I know the goal of money is to earn freedom, right? Freedom to do what you love, yeah. freedom to live where you want to live. So what's that look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I love the way you put it. Like I like to describe money as a tool. It's like, I think people just think money, like you get money, you're happier. And it's just absolutely not the case. Um, You know, I think most people want more money, but what are you going to use it for is is your question, right? So it's, it's a tool for me, for me, my family, we love to travel. So, you know, unfortunately traveling costs money and it costs time. And those are the two things you can gain from having some wealth. So ultimately it's like spending more time with my kids, spending more time doing the things that I want to do. And then, you know, traveling that type of stuff. So like people say like, do what I want when I want with who I want. And I kind of like that response because it's true. It's like, even though, you know, this, it's going to take some effort to keep the ball rolling, you have more time freedom and that's the ultimate goal. 
Yeah, real estate can give you that because you know people continue to pay their rent every month and it just keeps going. It's just a matter of building a team around it to make sure it all continues. Yeah, and if you have a good manager, like we love our manager in Tulsa, for example, they do an awesome job. So we have a weekly call and we talk about goals and we talk about where we're headed and how can we help. And But it's it's not terribly time-consuming once you have the deal, especially if the right manager in place. And so, again, you have this sort of time freedom and if you have a couple of those, pretty soon you start realizing, wow, I, I actually do have more time on my hands and it's it's awesome. I want to spend it with my family. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your knowledge today. Tons of great stories. I specifically love your story about that sixplex in the beginning. You know, most people get stuck with these limiting beliefs of not having enough money for a down payment or getting, you know, bank loan. And so they just don't do the deal. But instead, you figured out a solution, you proposed it. You don't know if you don't ask. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, don't be afraid to hear no because it's really not that big a deal. If you're like, hey, you want to sell me your house? No. Okay, good luck. You're like, see see you around. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, do you want to finance it? No, okay, not interested. I think so many people tend to have this negative mindset and fear. Like they, they do nothing versus just ask and you never know. They, they could say yes. 100%. Yeah, I love it. Anyway, but I'll, I'll be checking out your podcast and you know, I look forward to being on your, a guest on yours pretty soon. You know, I'll catch up with you later. Right on. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you having me on. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.